All right, if this is your first time here, or if this is your first time tuning in, my name's Adam. I'm the pastor here. I want to give a shout out to our, our OT, our online tribe. Thanks for being with us this morning uh, digitally. Uh, we love you just the same, even though you're not here. Can't give you a hug, but we try. So we're in a series called Bloodlines, which I'm really excited about. We're talking about who we are uh, and the idea is that while we have like a physical DNA, obviously, we also have like a spiritual DNA. Uh, and um, the spiritual DNA is really important. It gives us this idea that we have like a legacy, like we came from somewhere. Uh, so, so we have this, these spiritual giants in our uh, heritage, and now we sit here and we try, we want, hopefully we're drawn to live up to that legacy that they have left. And uh, what we've been talking about is like what that means as to who we are. And, and when I say who we are, I mean both you individually and then us collectively as well. So um, what I wanted to do for the next five weeks is to kind of zoom in on Mosaic as a church uh, and talk about who we are as a church and really how you fit into that. Dream a little bit about what this church could be, should be. Over the next five weeks, we're going to look at values uh, that are going to shape our culture kind of like a culture code. Um, so I wanted to start this morning with a parable that I think is familiar. Matter of fact, if you grew up in church, you've heard this one a lot. And I would even bet, if you're anything like me, when you read the Bible, it's so familiar, you, you skim over this one. And it, you don't skip it, because you know that would be horrible if you skip something in the Bible, I know. But, but you skim this one, uh, and, and, and you know, you'll, you'll see why here in a minute. So uh, I want to take a little different angle on it. But before we get into the actual parable, I want to read a little. There's an intro verse that kind of introduces the parable. Uh, so it's in Luke chapter 18, uh, starting in verse 9. And he, Jesus, also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. That's interesting. I, it, it caught my eye. I'll be honest with you. Normally, I would skip this verse. I'd get right into the parable with you. But this caught my eye. Luke, who's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, wanted us to know Jesus' target audience with this parable. A little editorial comment, kind of a, hey, by the way, the, the, the people Jesus was talking to, they were self-righteous and they viewed others with contempt. People, you know, they, they had a high view of themselves and a low view of others. People who, who thought a lot about their own lives, thought a lot about their own opinions, but didn't think much about other people's. Now, when I read that, I got to be honest, I just, I, I'm going to do a lot of me today, okay? I'm going to talk about me, and if you want to own it too, we can do this together. If you want to judge me, you can also do that. It's really not the church to do that, but whatever. If you want to, it's fine. It's fine. Um, but here's the deal. When I read that intro, without thinking about it, without being intentional about it, I immediately think, oh. Well, he's not talking to me then. That's what I do. I immediately think, ah, I, matter of fact, I tell you what, I have a list of people who maybe need to read this next thing, whatever Jesus says, but it's not for me. I don't trust in my own righteousness. I trust in Jesus' righteousness. I'm good, right? So, so I kind of do that thing. I don't know if you ever do this, where when you're reading the Bible, I, I kind of like imagine myself like sitting on the same side of the table as Jesus, you know, and be like, yeah, yeah, get him, Jesus. And, and Jesus is sitting there going... Why, why are you here? What are you, what, are you, what are you doing? You should be over there. But I kind of do that. I kind of think, it, it's a weird way to read it, but, but it's not a, it's, I'm not saying it's not a good thing. I'm not saying it's not a true thing. It just doesn't seem like it's a thing that's for me. Now, that was true. But this week, man, there, there was one word in here that caught my eye. 
one word in here that caught my eye. It was that very last word, contempt. Contempt. I got stuck on that word. It's the Greek word exuthaneo, not that you care, but it means to despise, to not take seriously, to scorn. And then then, uh, the best definition I heard, um, (laughs) I don't know why I'm getting so excited about it, it's awful. Uh, It's anger aimed downward. And what I mean is, like, so if you get angry or resentful towards people in your life, usually it's towards people who you perceive to be on the same level as you or people who you perceive to be above you, you know, anger, resentment. But contempt, contempt is an anger or a frustration towards people who you feel are beneath you. People who are stupider than you, you know? It's a long list, right? People who are eviler than you. Eviler is a word, I looked it up. You can play it in Scrabble. It's a real word. Eviler. Eviler. Sounds like something Dr. Evil would say. Eviler. You have people in your mind who you think are eviler than you. People who you think are weaker than you. People who you think are lazier than you. When you're frustrated, when you're angry towards them, it's contempt. It's two things. It's you viewing them as beneath you and a frustration towards them. Contempt. I read a study this week that you may think, I didn't need a study to know that. Usually studies that way, right? You're like, oh, you spent like hours and hours and thousands and thousands of dollars to find out something I could have told you by looking at Facebook. But here, let me tell you something. Um, (laughs) The majority, the majority of Democrats and Republicans, over 50% in each party, view the people in the opposite party as ignorant. Did you know that? Over 50, right around, it was right around uh, 50, but a little over 50, both sides view the other side as ignorant. 75%, three-quarters of both sides view the people in the opposite party as (laughs) closed-minded. And then the thing that I think uh, struck me the most was that right around 50% of each party believed that the other party was evil. Evil. Now, again, you know, like, yeah, duh, right? You don't, it wasn't a surprise to you. What was surprising to me was how similar the numbers are, how eerily similar Each side views the other side. We're talking about people who are on opposite ends of the ideological spectrum viewing each other exactly the same way. That's weird. It's weird. That, hey, you're you're looking at each other like this, going stupider, stupider. (laughs) Less flexible than us, less flexible than us. Eviler than us, eviler than us. Both sides, almost to the number. Contempt, right? Contempt. Beneath me, intellectually, morally, whichever way you want. And then when frustration comes out, it's, it's contempt. Our world right now is saturated with contempt. Our culture has kind of started to use contempt as almost like the language we speak, right? Almost like the operating system that we think with now. I mean, there are people who agree with me and there are people who are stupider than me. There is no third option, right? There are people who agree with me and people who are eviler than me. That is all there is these days. Oh, you have that stance on masks? (laughs) You're either more ignorant than me or less loving than me. Which one, right? Oh, you you, you support that movement? You're either stupider than me or you're more stuck in your ways than me. Oh, you're doing that with your kids? School this fall? Mm, You're either more lazy than me or you have less faith than me. Oh, you're voting for that 70-year-old who has no idea what he should really do with this country? You don't know what I'm talking about. You're eviler than me. If you're on the opposite side, you're evil. We live in a culture of contempt. 
It's everywhere. It's the way we interact now. So this little intro from Luke catches my eye. It catches my eye when I see that Luke's like, hey, by the way, this is for these kind of people. And, and maybe I'm not the guy who's self-righteous, but I'm definitely the guy who thinks he's right. <laughs> Stop laughing, what? <laughs> and then when I read that little line about contempt, you know, I first wanted to ask myself, do I treat people with contempt? And then the moment I started thinking about it, I had to switch the question from do I to how much do I? Right? How often do I? Now, again, I'm owning this, so I'll preach to myself all day long. I don't need you all here. If you want to participate, you can, you can try to say, hey, maybe this is something that I struggle with too. The contempt is a thing that I struggle with. And I want to, if you are, if you, at least let's entertain the idea. Pretend with me for a minute that you wanted to say, you know what, maybe this is something that I from time to time struggle with. Um, I want to I release the pressure a little bit. I'm not going to let us all the way off the hook, but I just want to say, hey, uh, of course we struggle with this, right? If everybody around us is treating everybody else with contempt, it's really hard not to, right? It's really hard to be on the outside of that when this is like the, the air we breathe, this is the water we're swimming in in our life. So it's really difficult to be the person who doesn't treat other people with contempt when it seems like everyone does. So I just want to acknowledge, this is a, of course this is something that we would struggle with since it's the, the air we breathe, but at the same time, what we have to acknowledge, if you're with me on this, if you're being uh, self-aware, if you're being honest with yourself about who you are here, you need to be with me and say, hey, you know what, then whatever Jesus says next, it's for me. It's for me. So here it is. Here's the parable Jesus told, starting in verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. Despised. It's important. Jesus wanted you to know in the story he's a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers, mask wearers, Republicans, Democrats, protesters, racists. It's not in there. I'm certainly not like that tax collector, right? I fast twice a week. I wear my mask. I actually have a job. I stand for the national anthem, and I give a tenth of my income. It's the only one that's far-fetched. <laughs> but, man, I'm sorry. Were you ready for this this morning? <laughs> but the tax collector, he stood at a distance, dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And then Jesus tells you what to think about this in verse 14. He says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, not a story. If you grew up in church, not one that you're unfamiliar with. Um, but back then, this story was crazy. Um, the listeners hearing this story would have been blown away by what Jesus just said. Uh, because he just, he just kind of flipped things on their head in their society. He just took things and just, just turned them right upside down. Uh, the Pharisee in the temple should be the good guy in the story. The Pharisee should be the good guy. And he was good, Right? And he's in the temple. And the tax collector, Jesus even pointed out, he's despised. The tax collector is the bad guy. Nobody likes him. So like the worldview that was in the audience that Jesus is talking to kind of has this paradigm of Pharisee good, tax collector bad. But Jesus comes in and tells this story, a story where you don't want to be the Pharisee. 
And people would be like, that's weird. Where you do want to be the tax collector and they'd be like, wow, okay. Like, I don't usually want to be, but now you're telling me in this story that that's actually the guy who I should want to be like. He did this on purpose because what he, you know how sometimes when you just have a way of thinking that, again, like if you've read a story before and you read the thing, uh, you don't even have to turn your brain on because you think you already know what it means, right? Your brain kind of has preloaded ideas of, of what's there. So Jesus intentionally takes it and he flips it upside down. It'd be like a, going to the Democratic National Convention and telling a story where a Republican's the hero, right? Or a Trump rally and telling a story where the, the Black Lives Matter uh, protester is the hero. It would, it would mess people up. People, people were not able to just put it into the category where they wanted to put it. So they had to listen to the details of what Jesus was saying. It forced them to look at the truth rather than just load it into their brains where they thought it should go. Taking a chisel to people's worldview. So in the story, the Pharisee, right? The Pharisee, this guy. Now, if I can be bold, if I can be bold, let me fix my microphone. Somebody coming? You're coming for me. I knew you were. Thank you. Thank you. It's so funny, even more funny in light of what I'm about to say here. Um, <laughs> the Pharisee, the Pharisee. Uh, if I can be bold, I'll, I'll, again, I'll own it. The Pharisee represents me. If you want to own it, the Pharisee represents you and everybody who agrees with you. That's who the Pharisee represents in the story. And he gets two things wrong. Two things wrong. He gets his view of himself and his view of other people wrong. Those are the two things that this Pharisee does wrong. And if we admit this, we're saying, you know what? Sometimes we get it wrong too. So let's deal with these both. I, I want to I try and quickly deal with the view of self because I want to jump. The real reason we're here is to talk about how we view others. But, um, so obviously the Pharisee thought pretty highly of himself, right? <laughs> he was the guy who when he walks through the mall and he sees a mirror, he likes what he sees. You know, he kind of slows down and he enjoys it. Like I said... He has a very high view of himself. And in this prayer, he like gives God his resume. He gives God his resume. And, and he even thanks God for not being like those people. You know, those people. He doesn't thank God like that God made him that way. He thanks God almost as if he's taking credit for it. Like, thank God I'm not like that. By the way, you're welcome, God. Oh, is almost what's implied that I'm not like that. He doesn't seem to give God credit for it. He's just thankful that he's not them. And Jesus says that this guy, the Pharisee, who would normally be the good guy in the story, went home not justified before God. Super surprising to everybody listening to this story because the Pharisee's a good guy. He's not lying about his resume, by the way. He is good. Man, Pharisees were crazy good. They, they had large portions of the Bible memorized. There were 612 laws in the Old Testament. They followed them to the T. Matter of fact, they made laws around the laws to make sure they didn't break the laws. That'd be like stopping at a stop sign twice. That's the kind of people they were. They just wanted to make sure, I'm never going to roll one. Like That's how strict they were. They were good. 
But Jesus tells the story and he's not justified. So everybody goes, what? And what Jesus is trying to do, which is the same thing Jesus is always trying to do, is, is to get us to see that everybody, good people, right people, need a savior. No matter how good, no matter what your moral resume looks like, you need a savior. You know, people ask all the time, how good do I have to be to get into heaven? And the answer, repeatedly in the Bible, is you got to be perfect. Perfect. Which is wild. Your response to that should be, uh-oh, <laughs> right? <laughs> that waved bye-bye to me a long time ago, so, so that's not good. But then you have to switch over and look at how he talks about this tax collector. The tax collector is not good, definitively not good. And yet, Jesus says the tax collector goes home justified before God. Which shows us that God would rather you focus on your faults, admit your faults, and ask forgiveness for your stuff. Rather than sit around looking at everybody else and and observing how good you are compared to them. Now, uh, I hope, if you've been going to Mosaic for any amount of time, I hope uh, that you have heard and on some level registered uh, the idea that the essence of Christianity is not about your goodness, it's about Jesus' goodness. I hope, because man, it's been, a, it's been a kind of a point of focus for me in my preaching. I kind of want to every single... Uh, Weak just about try to put before you that, hey, if you have a relationship with God, if you have a future home in heaven, it's not because of your resume, it's because of Jesus' resume. It's not because of what you did, it's because of what Jesus did. I want to continually put this before you. I never want you to accidentally start to think because of the way I talk that you need to be good to get to heaven. No, the answer is you got to be perfect to get to heaven. You can't, so Jesus died for you in your place so that you could go to heaven. I never want you to start living like, oh no, maybe God doesn't love me anymore because I'm living this way. No, that's not true. Jesus died. Jesus paid for the thing that you did last night. He did. Jesus died for the, th- for the attitude you had this week with your spouse. He died for that. He died for it. He died. He, he even died for the attitude you're going to have with your spouse this week. How about that? <laughs> no, 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 no. I know what you can do with that, right? Good. <laughs> Thank God I was already starting, starting rough this morning, right? No. But what that's supposed to do is it's supposed to inspire something in you. You're supposed to be like, oh my, God loves me that much already. He forgave me already. And then you're supposed to be drawn to him rather than this tyranny of feeling like, oh, now he doesn't love me. Now he does love me. It's not that. No, he just, he just loves you. So now you're free to serve him in that love, not for that love. I hope, I hope, I hope that if you go to this church for any amount of time, that that's the way your brain starts to think. So that when you think of yourself, so that your view of self, what it is, is very simple. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's what I am. That's who I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I am deeply flawed and deeply loved. Both are true. Both are true. That's who I am. That's who you are. So that's the view of self. That's the one that you want. Now, let's talk about how we view others. The Pharisee viewed others with contempt, right? He was up here, they were down there. And I, I, I'm going to point out, I, I really do feel like our society is drowning in a culture of contempt. So what can we do? 
What's the godly alternative to contempt? Obviously, God doesn't want us to view others with contempt. How does God want us to view others, treat others? Now, you might already know the answer, so I don't want to just talk about what. I also want to talk about how, because sometimes you can know what to do, but that's not really the hard thing. The hard thing is knowing how to do it, right? I actually feel like as I've grown in my Christian faith, it's not so much, what do I do anymore? I know it's, it's actually doing it. It's figuring out how to do it. That's where uh, the real difficulty comes in. So, Uh, There's this verse buried in the middle of Romans chapter 12. Really important verse. It's verse 10. Here's what it says. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Honor. So what I could say is that love is the answer to contempt. And in a lot of ways it is. uh, But I'll be honest with you here. And... I I see the word love as both overused and diluted. I did not just say I'm anti-love. So don't, like, we left here and and what did Pastor talk about today? He said he didn't like love. No, I don't like the way we use the word love. So, so, you know, like, if if you ask any church on the planet, do you want to be a loving church? 100% would say yes. Right? 100% would say yes. That doesn't really do anything uh, in the church, though, because we know a lot of them uh, aren't very loving. Right? So they say they want to be, but they're not. Um, And... Can I just be real? If I, if I stood up here and said, hey guys, we're going to be a, Mosaic is going to be a loving church. I don't know. What would your knee-jerk reaction to that be? D- duh, <laughs> right? Like it's not, I don't know. It doesn't inspire. It doesn't excite. It's not, and, and on top of that, it doesn't give us a lot of direction. Actually, it doesn't help much if I say, hey, we're going to be a loving church. You know why? Because you love pizza and you love your spouse. And those should be different, right? We use the word, it's got range, man. We love dogs, we love our kids, we love the beach, we love tacos, we love the browns most of the time, we love dark chocolate stuffed Oreos, which I can't find anymore. We love a lot of things, right? I I need to find them because I do love them in the way that I should, whatever that means. But if I tell you that, hey, we're going to be a loving church, that doesn't help you. What kind of love are we going to be? Are we going to be a pizza love church? Are we going to be a spouse love church? Like, what does that mean, right? It's not uh, helpful. It doesn't give us direction. But the second part of this verse, I'm drawn to this little line, outdo one another and showing honor. Honor. Honor kind of has the opposite problem, Right? If love is overused, honor is underused. If we use love for everything, we almost use honor for nothing. That that word is hardly spoken anymore. Honor. Outdo. he, He even implies in the way he says it, it's almost supposed to be a competition in who can show honor more. And honor means to treat as valuable, weighty, precious to appreciate, to esteem, to favorably regard, to respect, to hold them up. To put simply, honor is someone's worth in the eyes of others. Honor is the community's recognition of your worth, recognition and acceptance of your worth. Shame or contempt is the opposite, it's the community's rejection and dismissal of your worth. So when you honor someone, You are recognizing their intrinsic value as a human being made in the image and likeness of God. Recognizing someone's worth in God's eyes. Every interaction we have, every interaction we have should be saturated not with contempt, but honor, which sits on the opposite end of the spectrum. 
So we are called, commanded, to honor people in our life. And again, I'll go first and tell you my reaction to that. I don't want to. There, it's very simple. I've said, that, I've said that very short sentence a lot in the last five months. I don't want to. That, that's my first reaction to that. You honor, especially people that I don't like, disagree with, vote different than, sin different than. I don't want to honor them. That, I'm just being real. I just don't want to. Secondly, it's difficult to do that, right? With somebody that you really disagree with, strongly, vehemently disagree with, it's hard to do. And making it even more complex, they treat me with contempt, right? Because I'm right, and they're still acting like I'm wrong, and they're treating me like I'm stupid for it. Like, that's, that makes me, my knee-jerk reaction is to want to treat them with contempt in return. So all three of those are true. I don't want to. It's difficult. And man, when they treat me with contempt, I want to return fire. So here for me, for me, uh, I have to train myself to think a certain way. And usually, I, I'll be honest, I'm not tr- tr- trying to propose myself as perfect, obviously. Um, I catch myself. It's not, it's not something like, I've got this perfect, man, everybody is exactly, I'm treating you all with honor. Usually, it's I start with contempt, then I'm like, ooh, shoot, and I have to back up. And here's what happens in my brain. The pathway to me uh, remembering to honor people um, is recognizing their humanity. Remembering that every person I interact with is a human being made in the image and likeness of the creator God and is deeply loved by that God who deeply loves me. See, but it's so easy not to. It's so easy to create a caricature of a person, right? It's so easy to not see people as people, but to see people as positions, right? People are people. People are not positions. Write that that's profound. Write that down. People are people. People, did you know, man, there's another one you take home and somebody says, what did you learn about church today? People are people. See, but even though it's not profound and you're not like, oh my gosh, I do need to write that down. It's still hard to remember. Isn't that weird? That even though you know it, even though that's obvious, I could ask my three-year-old, he'd be like, yeah, of course. But you don't, you don't do it. You don't treat people as people. We treat people as positions and positions are way easier to treat with contempt. Positions are way easier to shred. Positions... You can even justify treating positions poorly. But people aren't positions. People are people. What if we could remember in every interaction, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, grocery store, highway, whatever, that the people we're interacting with are image bearers of God? What if we could remember that? Like keep it in the forefront of our mind. C.S. Lewis says it this way, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as to the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, and I'll even add, treat with contempt. Think about that. Listen to what he just said. He just said, hey, movements, political parties, nations, they're mortal. They will, they will cease to exist someday. It, it, your favorite political party is going to cease to exist someday. Your favorite country will cease to exist someday. But that person you live next to, they won't. They will live forever. Their soul is immortal. That's crazy. Look at how messed up our values are if that's true. We treat these temporary things as if they're these sacred things. But man, the people you interact with, they're the sacred thing. People are more important than positions and parties. 
Interacting with your fellow human is one of the most sacred things you can do. That helps me. It's not easy, but that helps me. And then on top of Look at what Jesus says uh, at the end of another parable. It doesn't need context. You can just read this right for what it is in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. Uh, The king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the least of one of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. That's crazy. So in this, in this verse, the king is Jesus. The king is God. And he says, hey, if you do it to the least of them, it's like you're doing it to me. It seems like God takes personal what we do to image bearers, how we treat image bearers. And that's everyone. God takes personal how we treat somebody who bears his image. That should scare you a little bit. <laughs> Right? That, that an assault on the king, uh, on the image of the king, is the same as an assault on the king himself. Like, that's a crazy thing. That God takes what we do to those who bear his image. You treat others with contempt, it is the same as treating God himself with contempt. He takes it personal in some way. That shows you how important human beings are. We hold this special place in creation. God <laughs> created us a little lower than the angels, Psalm says. Every single human being, every single one, even the one you disagree with the most, bears the image of the creator and has some kind of honor attached to that. How you treat, view, and speak to an image bearer is a weighty thing. Now, I'm not suggesting you change positions, shoes, man. If you got positions, you go ahead and you hold them. That's fine. I'm suggesting you change the way you interact with people who hold different positions than you. You treat them with honor, not contempt, because they're people. They're image bearers. Even if they're wrong, they're image bearers. I'm suggesting that instead of being a people of content, we become a people of honor. What if that's what we did here? What if that's what this church became? What if Mosaic became a church of honor? What if we became really good at seeing the intrinsic value in every single human who walks in here and every single human we walk out into the world and interact with? What if we got really good at that? What if we created among us here a haven of honor in the culture of contempt? What if we did that? A haven of honor in a culture of contempt. Because listen, I can't fix the culture at large. Man, I wish I had a a wand I could wave over our culture right now and just banish contempt from it because I am, it's it's wearing on me. I'm, I'm sick of it. I wish I did, but I don't. I can't solve the problem, neither can you. But just because we can't do everything doesn't mean we shouldn't do something. Right? And, and that's, I don't know about you, I kind of get tempted sometimes. Well, I'll throw my hands. I mean, we can't, we can't fix it, man. We can't fix it. I'll sit on the sidelines and, and pout because it's annoying. Like, that's kind of what I want to do. I'll be honest with you. But just because we can't do everything doesn't mean we shouldn't do something. So what if, what if we, our church, did something? What if we created an oasis of honor in this desert of contempt? What if we created a refuge, a safe house, a sanctuary of sorts that was strikingly different from the culture around it? We just refuse to treat people with contempt. What if we like that stubbornness you have that I know you have, that stubbornness, what if you use that uh, against that, that temptation to, to treat people with contempt and say, no, I'm going to treat people with honor. They're made in the image and likeness of my creator. I'm going to treat them with honor. No matter what they think, no matter what they do, no matter what position they hold, I'm going to treat them with honor. What if it became known, this church, what if it became known for treating with people with honor, even when they didn't treat us with honor. A church that consistently recognized, remembered the image of God, the Imago Dei in every single person. 
We remembered that every person we interact with, like Jesus thought about them when he was dying on the cross, just like he thought about me. Instead of seeing people as positions, we instead attempted to have empathy, to see their story, where they came from, to imagine <laughs> their story, to, to see their pain. Every, every person carries pain around with them to, to, to understand that, man, they got, they got a context here that I don't understand. To see their calling, man, they're here for a reason. We say all the time, if, God, if you're not dead, God's not done. Well, that's true of the people you don't like, too. You know that, right? I, it's true of you. It is true of you, but it's also true of them. If, if God was done with them, they wouldn't be here anymore. So God has like a calling on their life, and that's a sacred thing, to try and see that. What if we went out of our way to mentally try to see people, even the worst ones, in the full context of what it means to be a human? Even if they're aiming contempt at us. Because we know, you know this, you know this, that you don't diffuse contempt with contempt. You know that, right? You've, you've been on Facebook, right? You, you know that contempt is not like diffuse the situation, right? If somebody's treating others with contempt, somebody jumps in and fires back with contempt. It's not like the thing de-escalates right there, right? It doesn't happen that way. You diffuse contempt actually with, with honor. You're not going to transform a contemptuous person by treating them with contempt, but you just might. Throw them off balance if you treat them with honor. Isn't that what Proverbs says? A, a gentle answer turns away wrath. They, they won't know what to do with it. They'll be completely shocked. They got contempt and you come in with honor. They, they will be like, I don't know what just happened, but I kind of liked it. <laughs> that's weird. And maybe that's what we need to be. Different. So one of our five values here at Mosaic is that we are a people of honor. We are a people of honor. I'm going to speak it like that. We are a people of honor. Our honor level shows our value level. The greater the honor, the greater the value. Every person is made in the image of God and therefore has a high value. So we give honor to all. Our words, our attitudes exude honor. We believe the best for each other and about each other. We joyfully submit to those God has placed over us. We love and serve those God has placed under us. We will create a haven of honor. In a culture of contempt. That's what I want to be, man. Can you see that? Can you, can you, I, I can almost taste that. How awesome, how sweet that would be to have a church that actually embraced that. I'll end with this. Uh, I don't have time to go into the whole story. I wanted to like, I had enough notes that were randomly connected that I could have just read my notes and it would have been this long, but I, I had to pick what I wanted to put in, what I wanted to leave out. So I picked more things than I should have. So this one's not going to be complete, but it's really important. So you just have to trust me on some of this. If you want to go do your, uh, you can read the footnotes later, um, do more research. Uh, but right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he taught a principle that almost gets him thrown off a cliff. Now, part of that was just him claiming to be God. That tended to make a lot of people mad back then. But there was another thing that he taught. And uh, the principle is this, that honor gives you access to other people's anointing. Honor gives you access to other people's anointings. Now, that might not make sense. If you're new at a church, you're like, what the heck's an anointing? That's weird. Okay, so basically an anointing is what God is doing through someone else. What God is doing through someone else. And Jesus taught that, that if you want to have access to that, if you want to be a part of that, if you want to be, I'll call it blessed by that, honor is kind of the ticket price to that. You treat people with honor, you have access to their anointing. You have access to what God is doing through them. You treat them with contempt, it's like turning a valve and shutting it off. And he used a couple of examples when he taught this. And again, you can go, do your, you can go read this. Um, he talked about Elijah. 
And Elijah, if you don't know, man, Elijah in the Old Testament is one of the most powerful prophets to walk the face of the earth. Dude did crazy stuff. God just moved through this man. Crazy stuff. But there were at certain times and certain points in his ministry where God seemed to reduce the amount of people who benefited from that. It wasn't that God moved any less through Elijah. It's just that less people experienced it. Jesus said this. There's this guy named Naaman who got healed from leprosy. And Jesus said there was lots of people at leprosy, but only Naaman got healed. And Jesus is pointing out, hey, the, the honor level just reduced the amount of people that experienced God working through him. And Jesus even uses himself as an example because Jesus said a prophet is without honor in his hometown. Remember that? Jesus said that. And uh, Nazareth is where Jesus is from. And it's one of the cities where Jesus could do very few miracles. Even Jesus himself seemed to like uh, have, he was, he was t- tuned into this idea that honor gives you access. So, man, what that means. Can you think about the implications of this? We live in a culture of contempt. And if contempt shuts us off from other, God working through other people, what does that mean? Man, we're, we're, we're starving to see God move through others because we treat everybody with contempt and we can't experience what God is doing through them when we do that. We've shut it off. We shut it off. They didn't. It's not because they're bad. It's because we're not treating them the way we're supposed to. So here's what I want to be. I want to be a church that we don't do. I want the valve to be like all the way open here. You know what I'm saying? Like turn that thing around so that we have access to what God is doing through each other. So if we treat each other with as high honor as we can, that means the valve is all the way open. And man, can you imagine what God would start to do if we all got to experience what God was doing through all of us? Man. Again, I want to go to that church. I want to to be that church. And it would be wild. People would come in here and not know what the heck to do. They, they would expect one thing and get a completely another thing. And, we, and I'll be honest, I don't even know what it means. Maybe none of us do because, man, can you, we, we, I don't think we've ever experienced it before. If we just started doing that, if we just started treating each other with honor and then just watch the gates of heaven start to open and see what God could do, I don't even know. Maybe we haven't even scratched the surface. See, I get excited when I start talking about like the big picture things. And then... I have to bring it home, right? So I can imagine what it would be like for all of us to do it, then I have to do it. <laughs> like every day, day in, day out, especially with the people who are difficult. So I guess my homework for you is, uh, where, where should you start? Who can you start to honor now? Who can you start? And again, maybe, it's, maybe it just starts here. Maybe, maybe it's not, maybe not even to the stage where you're going to start doing things yet. Maybe, maybe what you need to do is just, con- just continually remind yourself this person is an image bearer. This person has value. This person's soul is immortal. Like maybe you just need to start rehearsing some of this stuff and then just let it change you. Right? Maybe you're not going to change. Maybe you start changing the way you think it. It will change the way you act. Maybe you don't need to do a bunch of action work. Maybe you just need to start really changing the way you think. And then let God move. Maybe that'll automatically happen. You'll go on Facebook and you'll be like, I'm going to. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Maybe, maybe it'll change right here. So maybe that's what I want. I, I want you to start to pray for God to transform the way you see every single human you interact with. Let's start there. Pray with me. Jesus, uh, this, is, this is hard, Lord. You know, you know. Uh, man, I was... I was Praying to you so much, Lord, before this, because I really felt like this is, this is one of the sins of our time. 
preaching against something this big is scary, Lord. I, you, you know, I was nervous. So I know that this is not something that, that somebody's sitting here going, what is he talking about? Look, I know every single one of us deals with this every single day, Lord. And I want to be different, Lord. I want to swim upstream in this rapid. I pray for this church, Lord. I pray that you would help us do it. I pray for your spirit, spirit of honor to come. And I pray for each individual person, Lord, that, that, that whatever people they struggle with, Lord, I pray that you would supernaturally help them, remind them that's a human, that's a person I died for, that's a person who bears my image. Lord, I pray that you would whisper that to our souls as we live our life. Lord, and I pray for that vision. Lord, I, I can see it. A church that does this, Lord, I pray that that would happen. I pray that you would move in our hearts and our minds that we would become a haven of honor in this culture of contempt. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Whew. All right. That was good. I know. Thank you. I was, you don't have to clap. I was talking to myself. Um, I was also delaying because I can't remember if I was supposed to make some kind of an announcement. I don't think there is. Again, there's not a lot going on. Why don't you stand up with me? Um, I love you guys. Thank you. None of you listened. Look at that. This is the most rebellious church in the world. You're just all sitting there looking at me. Um, we are so grateful to be meeting again together. Again, I feel like it's one of those new things. We're starting to get back into that routine. So I guess I wanted the one thing I'll leave you with. Uh, we, we are a church of inviters. So uh, if you know people who, you know, go outside... Invite them to church. And if you know people who aren't going outside, invite them to participate online in our online tribe. Do that, man. Participate. You know, don't, let's not lose that inviting spirit that we have. All right, guys, I will see you in six and a half days.